Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Command Space. I am your host, Mike Hurley, and I am joined today by Mr. Matthew Bischoff. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Great. So Matt, right? We'll go with Matt. Yeah, definitely yeah. Matt. I, I, figured I, I figured I would give you the, the full introduction before, before shooting in it down to Matt. So Mr. Bischoff, um, <laughs> what do you like to be known for? Uh, I like to be known for making awesome things. Um, you know, I'm a 22-year-old software developer, and uh, I like making really great software that people love. I had no idea you were 22. Oh, <laughs> yes, oh, yes you, I am. You've actually, this doesn't happen very often, but you've now made me feel old. What I like to say about my age is that uh, Taylor Swift is still writing songs about it, so it's okay. <laughs> for as long as that happens, you're Yeah, good. you're fine. You're not old yet. Wow, that... That yeah okay we're going to move swiftly on from that so <laughs> um you are a man who has in a relatively short career you've amassed some awesome accolades I think um, and we're going to go through some of those today but before we do that um, I want to learn a little bit about your background so how did you get into to development. Yeah, I was thinking about this um, a little bit earlier today because I I love the show oh, thank and. You. I got into software development um, and and Mac and iOS software development through a kind of a weird path. I was a uh, you know a kind of a nerdy kid, and I was a win- Windows user. My family had a Windows computer in like 1997. I was seven or eight years old, and I would use that Windows computer. Um, and I got really interested in the control panel part of it, where you could control all the things about the system. And then from there, I got into um, you know all the different ways you could change icons and change system resources out and just customizing that computer. And then I wanted to sort of learn how to, how that was possible. But I got distracted actually by podcasting when I was, uh, when I was 13. So one thing you might not know about me, Mike, is that I was the first teenage podcaster. Oh no, I did know that. Oh, you knew. I knew that about you. Okay. So then I was, I was into podcasting, but the problem was a, there was no name for it. It wasn't called podcasting yet. And B to do it, you had to be super nerdy. You had to set up a website um, which I didn't know how to do. Uh, I ended up figuring out how to install uh, movable type on on my own server. That took days. What like what is this my SQL thing? How do I do this? Um, and that's probably when I got bitten by the by the programming bug. Seeing all the um, source code for that stuff made me want to learn how to write it myself. So you you shied away from the mic, stepped behind a keyboard instead. That's right. So you. I've worked for a couple of, of large companies, uh, New, New York Times, and uh, now you're at Tumblr. Yes. And we'll talk about those in a bit, but you have a software house on the side as well that, that, that you um, co-founded, I'm going to say. Yes, probably the- I did. Yeah, I co-founded it with um, Brian Caps, who was a friend of mine in high school. We worked on a few uh, software projects in high school together. And then um, my college roommate, uh, Andrew Harrison, joined the company uh, a couple of years later. So it's Lickability. That's right. Tell me where that name comes from. Um, I believe it was in 2001 when Steve Jobs was introducing the Aqua user interface. He said that the buttons were so beautiful that they were lickable. You'd want to lick them. And um, I just always loved that quote. And so that's where, we, that's where we came up with the name. I think lickability got forgotten about a little bit when scrolls like butter. <laughs> that's true. I, I think that's that true. overtook it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of those things, scrolls like butter was clearly a mistake. He meant to say, like a knife through butter. Yes. But now, now. scrolls like butter is a thing that means something. 
Yeah, 60 so, frames per second. And it's so strange because now people consider butter to be smooth scrolling, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, but it's one of those things that, that was the power of the man because he then continued to say it through that presentation. He he realized his mistake, I think, but said it multiple times. Yeah. Smart. So um, when did you start Lickability and uh, what was your first application? We started it in either late 2008 or early 2009, and our first application actually was never released. It was this application called Broadway. I was a, a theater kid in high school. I did lots of musicals and plays, and I, I loved going to see Broadway shows, being so close to New York. And so I wanted to make uh, the first application on the App Store that would let you see all the shows on Broadway and buy tickets online or by phone. And why didn't that see the light of day? It's a sad story because... Um, <clears throat> We built the app, Brian and I. Uh, we got it to a pretty stable 1.0. Uh, you know, this was back in iOS 3, so everything looked a lot different than it would look today. And we were much younger, so there were probably things in the code that I would regret if I looked back. But the problem was that we didn't have a data source that was public. There was no, there's no um, open API for getting Broadway showtimes, as you can imagine. It's just not something that, that existed and so we had to figure out, well, okay, who are we going to partner with to get this information? Or are we going to just have someone sit in a room and type it every day? And we went to some of the biggest Broadway um, data websites, or, or ticket websites, like um, theatermania.com, broadway.com, playbill.com. And because it was so early, people were, A, interested, but B, they were also, especially the people at Theater Mania, they were sort of like, well, I don't think apps are going to be a thing. We're just going to do a mobile website and it'll be fine. Um, now, looking back, they might, they might regret saying that. And, but, but they said, you know, come, in, come into the office and show us all the designs, show us how you did everything. And we were very young. Um, so we were sure, yeah, maybe they'll, they'll want to buy it or a partner or something like that. Uh, turns out that they didn't. And instead, they wanted to rip off the whole application and, and do it themselves in India for cheaper. So that's what they did. And then they released it and cut off the uh, data that we were using. And uh, it's a sad story. You, you wrote a blog post about this that I'm going to put in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And you can find the show notes for today's episode at 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 66. Um, you, you, you work that in very well. Hey, it's what I do. I'm here every week. Uh, and then you've developed two other applications, uh, Quotebook and Velocity. And we're going to talk about Velocity a little bit later, but what is Quotebook? Quotebook is an app to um, store, sort, and share the quotations that matter to you. That's what we say. I think you don't really need to say much more than that. I think that's, yeah. you, you've, you've got that down to a fine art now. <laughs> yep, I've been pitching that app for years. And it came from an idea from Alex Payne. Do you know Alex? I do, yeah. Yeah, Alex Payne um, famously, you know, wrote a lot of the Twitter API and then has gone on to do lots of other great things. Not sure where he is now, but he pitched an idea on his blog um, years before we made Quotebook for an app called Quotidian that was essentially the same idea. And he said, look, I'll probably never have time to make this, and someone should. And when we were after Broadway, when we were licking our wounds and trying to decide what we were going to do next, um, I remembered back to that post and realized that still no one had done it years after he had written it. And so that's what we decided to make. And you guys are well known as the uh, core data people. Yes, yeah, we have, we both of our apps, um, Velocity and Quotebook, use core data, but Quotebook notably uses iCloud core data, which is very very challenging. Yeah, and you uh, you've uh, done some some interesting work there. I think it's probably yeah, the and, best and way more to do it. More to do in our since iOS seven changes everything again, as Apple would say. Uh, we've got more work to do in our next update. 
No doubt. No doubt at all. So, uh, you used to, until very recently, uh, work at the New York Times. When when did you start working there? I started working there about uh, two years ago. And what were you doing at the New York Times? I was a, an iOS developer and then later a senior iOS developer. And when I, when I became senior iOS developer about a year and a half in, I also uh, switched teams to the new digital products team from the core uh, New York Times iOS team. So what's, what uh, projects, what apps um, at the New York Times will do we see your stamp on? I spent most of my tenure at the Times working on the NY Times iPhone app. Um, the team is not, is not formally divided into iPhone, iPad, but people just generally seem to fall out that way. Uh, there are a couple people who work across both. Um, but since it's not a universal app, there's a lot of code that isn't shared uh, between them. And then I also did the NY Times Election 2012 app. I don't know how many of you remember that because not a huge number of people used it. But it let you uh, track the election and not just see Times coverage, but also see coverage from um, the Washington Post, and if it was you know a local paper in Iowa, you could see that all clustered together around the same story. And also, we had a, an election guide that let you see um, how each county was going to vote and uh, stuff like that. And how did it feel moving into such a large company? Like, where were you before the New York Times? I was actually in college. I dropped out right. to go to the Times. And how did that um, feel going to such a huge company like I don't think. I don't think at the time I realized um, what a big deal how, how what a big deal that is the the size of a company. I didn't realize how much of an effect it would have on my day to day. But um, it was it was challenging because having such a large company, a just there's just practical things that get more difficult. You have more people you you need to know. There are more business units that are doing things all the time that you need to stay up on top of. Um, and and also it just it just um, it can lead to levels of bureaucracy. I mean, the Times has been around since 1851, and some of that bureaucracy is what allows it to do great work. But it also can prevent innovation in some cases. How did that feel working in a, a, you know, ostensibly old media company trying to build apps in the new sort of economy? Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, It felt most of the time like me and my colleagues were essentially trying to save the newspaper from itself. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it felt like sort of a pirate band who was, uh, who was trying to do all the right stuff in this organization that was just this hulking uh, thing around it. But then also, as I got to know more people, I realized that this wasn't such a small band. Um, there were a lot of people at the Times who cared about doing the right stuff in digital. And I mean, the website kind of, kind of uh, gets to that fact. Like The Times is one of the first um, newspapers to have a successful website, and it's still one of the top websites today. So when you were like creating these applications, how were they received internally? Like, did you have a lot of battles? Like, you would want to do something a certain way, implement an API in a certain way, or something like that, and you would have to fight for that. Yeah. Uh, yes, all the time. I had to fight constantly. But I think the reason, looking back on it, was that there are just so many groups of stakeholders. Right? There is there are the designers, that there are the developers, there's marketing, paid products. Um, there's the newsroom, and just all, all of these people, it's very, very difficult to get them all in the same room and to agree. So there were a lot of battles at the Times about not just technical implementations, but like design strategies, copy, everything, you name it. 
So you've recently moved over to Tumblr, which I want to talk to you about in a moment. Uh, but just before we do that, I just want to take a quick break to talk about our first sponsor for today's episode. And that is the fine folks over at squarespace.com who give you the all-in-one platform that make it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO10. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you'll have heard me talk about the things that I love about Squarespace, like their beautiful templates, their 24-7 customer support, the fact that hosting is taken care of, apps are taken care of, stats are taken care of, absolutely everything. No matter what type of site you want to build, Squarespace can give you all the tools to do that, whether you want to create a site for your band, restaurant, a blog, portfolio, maybe if you're an artist. But if you're a business and you have stuff that you sell online, well, Squarespace have an amazing system that they call Squarespace Commerce. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. So Squarespace Commerce does some amazing things. And it really does give people all of the tools that you need to go in and create your own store. So Squarespace Commerce is now available in the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands and Spain. So and it's growing all the time and they're doing loads of great stuff there to work with Stripe, their payment processor and getting that expanded. So with Stripe, you can set up a merchant account within 30 seconds, which gives you instant approval and they don't require any paperwork to do that. Um, So Stripe provide the payment processing, which is all PCI compliant, SSL enabled and all that fun stuff. And Squarespace give you all of the great stuff on the back end. So you can sell any type of product using one single interface, digital or physical goods. They have an order management system that lets you easily track outstanding orders, resend customer update emails, print packing slips. You can have an express checkout mode if you don't want people to go for a cart. They can set up full tax and shipping rules by region to also help that you run your store. If you have a store elsewhere, maybe with Shopify or Big Cartel, you can move your inventory over in just a few clicks. You can designate store managers. You can just it's incredible you can accept donations if that's the type of thing that you want to do they don't add any fees to the transactions the stripes charge is 2.9 percent plus 30 cents per successful transaction squarespace imposes no additional transaction fees go and find out more about this stuff for yourself if you're starting a site of any kind i think that you're going to love it go to squarespace.com sign up for a free trial squarespace plans start at eight dollars a month and don't forget to use the code TALLYHO10 for 10% off. Thanks so much to Squarespace for their support of Command Space. So, what brought you to Tumblr? Well, uh, I, think I, I think I got what Michael Locke calls the itch. I think I was working on new products at the Times, and that those new products weren't going the exact direction that I thought they should be going. And so I started thinking about, well, Okay, is now the right time to try to do do lickability full time? Doesn't doesn't quite seem like it. You know, we want to get a couple more things out there before before I even think about that. And first, and it might not be me being the first one to do it. Um, and then I thought about, well, are there other companies in New York that I would, that make something that I really care about? I really cared about the Times when I went there, and I wanted to be working on something that I really really liked. Um, that. And you know, Tumblr just jumped to mind, and I I knew Brian. Brian do you know Brian Irace? I do, yeah. Yeah, Brian Irace is one of the developers here at Tumblr on the iOS team, and I had had lunch with him um, months earlier, and he seemed great, and we hung out a lot at WWDC, and um, so I thought, well, why not interview? And then when I interviewed, I, I fell in love with uh, the team, the building, and, and the direction of the product. So. so what sort of stuff are you going to be working on? K 
can you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be working. The iOS team at Tumblr is very small, and so I'm going to be working on the iOS app, which, unlike the Times, is universal. It's the uh, iPhone and iPad. App. Awesome. Yeah. How does it feel moving to a smaller team? I assume that the team at Tumblr is smaller than the team at the New York Times. Yeah, the iOS team at Tumblr is uh, three people now after I, I've joined, which is perfect because that's also the size of lookability. So it feels like I'm feels like I'm right at home. I mean, but it's not like you're working for a small company because obviously you've got the the Yahoo thing in the background. To be honest, that doesn't really come into a day-to-day. Tumblr is pretty much run as a separate company. That must feel good. Yeah. So you have worked at some massive media companies. So you've worked at the New York Times. You're about, you know, you're just starting. You've just started at Tumblr, haven't you, very recently? Yeah, about two weeks ago. So you've just started at Tumblr as well. Um, So you've worked for these behemoths in media. (laughs) How does it feel? How important is it for you to keep something independent on the side, so with lickability, like why why do you continue running that? Um, it's extremely extremely important. Uh, it's you know some people say that I'm crazy because I, I work all day on this stuff and then I go home and do the same thing, and my girlfriend would probably agree. Um, but it's great to have an outlet of expression where you're in complete control. Uh, no matter what other company that you're at, if it's not the company that you founded and that you're running someone can still tell you what to do and what not to do. And they can say, hey, we shouldn't do this feature, even though you think it's a great idea. Um, or we should do this feature, even though you don't think it's a good idea at all to do it. And to have the ability to just express yourself in software, um, which is, for me, like one of the native mediums of the way I express myself is by making software, is, um, is, is really, really important to me. And I think I'll be working on my own stuff no matter where I am. Uh, and, and actually, when I, think of, when I thought about where, sh- where I should go next, I really had to consider that because a lot of companies wouldn't even let you work on your own stuff. I mean, yeah. Apple, famously, if you work on any, pretty much anything at Apple, you can't you can't work on your own stuff. Yeah, that would be a big problem for me as well. Now, I, I wouldn't be able to to do, to work anywhere that wouldn't allow me to to continue to explore my own independent projects. I mean, obviously, I would never move somewhere that would clash. Like, I wouldn't start work at a radio station, right? Right, right of course. Yeah, because there's a you know there's an overlap, but I feel like if the two things are, are separate enough, like, yeah, you're creating iPhone apps, but they do totally different things. Very different things, yeah. Y- you're not working at, like, WordPress on the side, <laughs> you know? It's yeah, not... that would be, of course, unacceptable, yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about developing for iOS 7 specifically. Oh, great. One of my favorite topics. Not just development for iOS, but for iOS 7. So we were actually, we spent a bit of time together at WWDC. Yeah. Which sparked for me the whole fact of getting you on the show. I was waiting until everything was released before having you on. So I knew you wouldn't be able to talk about anything. It'd be a waste of time. So how has iOS 7 changed you as a developer? Oh, man. I mean, it's it's made us all work extremely fast. I mean, this is one of the, the release cycles that Apple gave us the least amount of time uh, from the time that they announced the operating system to the time that they released it, just based on, and also, I mean, when you consider the number of changes that you have to make um, to be a, a true iOS 7 app, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that so many of the apps that came out on the first day or in the first couple of weeks have just been casual reskins. They haven't been uh, a ground-up rethink, which is what Apple's asking developers to do, and I think yep. that's the only uh, logical way to approach the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's been interesting to see how some people managed it, but some people didn't, and teams of varying sizes. Like I've seen people, I've known one one person developer companies, development houses, 
that have turned around a brand new application and I've seen teams of 20 people that haven't been able to do it. It's very interesting to me and I don't know what the reasoning is. Maybe I know yeah. that there's been, I think that some of the developers that I can see that have been resistant are the ones that were most outwardly spoken like in against iOS 7. Right. That's one factor, but I think also there are invisible factors that have to do more with the code base that they were starting from. So you may have a large team that a lot of different people were working on different sections of code and no one had the whole app in their entire head. Mm -hmm. And so even if one person was super passionate about iOS 7 and wanted to stay up all night and do it, they wouldn't be able to. Whereas if you have one developer, that that can automatically constrains the size of the application so that they can keep the entire thing in their head. And if they want to do iOS 7, well, it's going to be much easier for them. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, what new things are you excited about? Uh, I'm really excited about AirDrop. I haven't seen a ton of people use it to great effect yet. Actually, in the Times app has one of my favorite implementations, um, if I'm allowed to say so. When you AirDrop an article in the Times app, it doesn't just take you to that article in Safari. If you have the New York Times application, it will actually open the app directly to that article. Oh, that's useful. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's great, even if you're not connected to the Internet. If you just have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, you can share an article with someone even without the Internet. So. Um, I, have I think a, more I should do that. I have a theory for why I think AirDrop's not really getting a lot of coverage, as it were. Or people okay, just why know. is that? So when we all first got iOS 7 on our devices, so people that were in the beta program, yeah. there was nobody around us that could use it. <laughs> so we kind of got used to not using it and forgot about it. Yeah. So we are the people that... Event, like sort of evangelized to our friends the fact the fact that airdrop exists but we all forget that it's there we've all ignored it when we go to the share menu now we just don't even see it anymore <laughs> so we just have forgot that it's there that make that makes a lot of sense um also i'm really excited about uh the new apis that are added for doing physics and motion and transitioning between views. You can see this really, really well in the calendar app where everything's a, a zooming user interface uh, and photos as well. I think the more developers um, implement these, the, the more natural it's going to be to get around apps. It's not just going to be another navigation bar with another standard push transition. You know, yeah. That's where the personality comes in. A lot of people have criticized iOS 7 for losing you know, the personality in each individual app because, because of, the, of how... Um, they remove texture and, and skeuomorphism if you want to go there. Uh, but I think that that personality is now moving towards animation and transitions, physics yeah. and dynamics. Yeah, I think that maybe there's just been not enough time, I think, for, for that stuff to really be implemented fully. I mean, I assume that's probably a lot harder to do, so people have just given it a new coat of paint, and I reckon maybe over the next few months we'll start to see more apps that take advantage of the physics stuff. Yeah, I agree. It is harder to do, especially because you want to do it in a way that's not distracting um, and that is subtle. Yeah, and, and maybe some developers want to see other people do it as well, you know, to try and get some ideas. How am I going to do this? Right. Because it's one of my favorite things about iOS 7 is the Messages app and the way that moves. I, I yeah. love that. I just love that so much. Me too. Um, what considerations when... Because I'm sure you've... Well, I know you've been developing for iOS 7. So what considerations have you needed to make now that you didn't before? Uh, there are a, a few. Um, when you're designing your user interface, you can't rely as much on iconography and symbols. I mean, you can, but the, the guidelines are to use text where it's appropriate. Yep. So figuring out what the appropriate text is going to be, that's sort of um, important, whereas an icon might have conveyed multiple ideas before. you got to just find one short word 
that, that conveys it. And then you have to, if you worry about localization, that short word in English might be a super long word in German or Korean or Thai. Um, what do you do in those in those examples? Like if you come up with the perfect English word, but in German it's like 40 characters, like what do you do? I haven't run into that problem yet, but I would, I would say the best thing to do would be to work with your translator and see if, see if there's a way around it, a synonym. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, to do text on in one language and icon in another language, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a little weird. Yeah, or just to have the gonna... ellipses. This doesn't oh, make yeah, any no, that's sense. Ter- that's terrible. <laughs> so I want to talk about cutting iOS version compatibility because oh, you yeah. did something. I assume that you had a hand in this. You did something very, very interesting. You cut compatibility for iOS six on day one for the New York Times. Am I right in thinking that? That's absolutely true. However, um, when you say cut compatibility, I just want to be very, very clear. What we did was new versions of the application yeah. require iOS 7, right? If, you still have, if, you, if you're one of the millions of people that have the New York Times application on iOS 6, you can still use it just fine. But it was very interesting to me because it takes some people such a long time to do it. So why, why did you make this decision considering that the app has a massive user base and all that sort of stuff. Why did you decide to, the new look is only going to be for iOS 7? Because I know that some people have tried to make it, you know, tried to not cut six yet and jerry-rig their own way around it. Right, right. Uh, you can certainly do that. What, what Apple has said, though, is that unless you have specific business reasons, um, you should definitely do seven only. Um, so I didn't, I didn't make the decision, but the reason why I advocated for it was that I wanted our application to be available on the first day of iOS 7. You know, people expect that from the New York Times. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a journalism company, a newspaper company, but it's, but it's also one of the most technologically forward ones, as I was saying before. So in order to do that, um, we basically had to. We basically, there was no way that we could um, QA every single screen to the level that we'd want to. To, des- to redesign the screens, but then maintain the current design, that would, there would be code paths that the code would just grow. It, you know, we wouldn't be able to cut anything. And so we'd introduce way more bugs than we'd be, we'd be able to fix. Um, so it was kind of a choice out of necessity. But also it's, following, it's completely following um, Apple's lead. You know, when Apple tells you, especially as a partner like the New York Times, trust us, this is going to be okay, you trust them. And it, it has worked out uh, great so far from, from everything I've seen. For a company like the New York Times, is there a credibility thing with not being um, there on day one? Like you mentioned, you know, about I don't know if the company new- feels that way, but I certainly do. Um, as one of the main news sources that I read, if I was, you know, not working at the company like I am now, and I didn't see that update um, pretty quickly, I would start to worry and I'd start to wonder. Um, I, I don't know how the company feels about it as a whole. Because, you know, it's made up of so many different people. But what I can say is it was amazing to me how much support, once the decision was made, how much support that the developers and designers got from uh, the business to, to move quickly. Were there any disadvantages to taking this route that you know of? There may have been a somewhat of a disadvantage if Apple had not announced that um, users of iOS 6 can download previous versions. They announced that only after yeah. this decision was made for months. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you did because I, I I was going to ask if that impacted it at all. This is where they this was new for the iOS seven transition that you would be told if you would on iOS six, would you like to download the previous compatible version of this app? Right. That's yes, I believe that's how right. Apple word it. So you decided to make that decision before knowing that that was going to happen. 
Yes. Yeah, we had to. So you guys were and all in. We were all in. And uh, so if that hadn't happened, we may have lost um, some number of downloads per day of people who hadn't yet updated or were updating or didn't know that the update was out for a, for a couple of weeks. I mean, at this point now we're, you know, over 60, over 70%, I think, iOS 7 adoption. So at this point, the download numbers on iOS 6 would be, would be small anyway. Um, because if you're not the kind of person that is going to update your operating system, are you really the kind of person that's going to the app store and downloading a bunch of new apps years after you buy your phone? Yeah. Uh, it's not likely. Um, but that's the only downside that we, that, that Brian and I and, and the rest of the team um, put, put forth. So iOS 7 itself, um, what sort of feeling does it give you for the direction of the iOS platform? Does it fill you with hope, with dread, um, fear? <laughs> How do uh, you feel about it? Definitely with hope. I, I, I feel like if Apple had rested on their laurels and um, just, done a, just done another feature update without thinking about the design, it would have been, uh, it would have been worrying. It would have been problematic. And the fact that they have been willing to rip up everything and, of course, introduce a lot of bugs and problems along the way um, really is heartening to me. And uh, I'm really excited about iOS 8. I love iOS 7, but there are, you know, just a ton. There's a whole blog, uh, Sloppy UI on Tumblr, that just documents all the, all the problems. Um, and I think all those problems are because basically they had to rush it. And with another year, I think this is going uh, to be amazing. So I want to uh, just take a, another quick break to talk about our second sponsor uh, for this week's episode. But, of course, I have loads more that I want to talk to you about, sir. Of course. So our second sponsor for this week is HostGator.com. HostGator is a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can get can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. I know there are a bunch of you at the moment that are looking somewhere to host your website, well, I believe that HostGator could be that place for you. I will say nothing more about that for the moment. If you are a more advanced user or you're a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPSs, or VPS, <laughs> and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% .9 uptime, no matter your size or needs. Doesn't matter what type of customer you are to HostGator, they will guarantee 99.9%. .9 and when you host with them, you're going to get unlimited disk space and bandwidth, which is, I think, really awesome. If you are a user of WordPress, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. They also have free site building tools that are super easy to use. But if you find yourself needing any help at all, they have a 24-7 support to ensure that everything is running smoothly for you. So if you go to HostGator.com and use the code SWITCHITUP, all one word, S-W-I-T-C-H-I-T-U-P. You're going to get a massive 50% off any purchase and $5 off any domains. We've done an awesome special deal with them because I know you guys need that stuff right now. So up until October the 22nd, 2013, Switch It Up is going to get you a huge 50% off. Thanks to HostGator for sponsoring the show. Mr. Bischoff, how do you think on the whole, I mean, we spoke about this a little bit, but how do you think on the whole other developers are settling in with iOS 7? Have you noticed any themes that you think are positive or negative, like any trends of stuff that you think, well, oh, they're all doing this wrong or everyone's getting this right at the moment? 
I've I've been you know reading the news and and just reading my Twitter stream. It seems like fewer people are talking about iOS seven and, and more people are talking about pricing, which is interesting to me. I didn't expect that. Yeah. I expected you know in the once the NDA was lifted for a lot of people to be talking about you know their decision processes. And there are sure there are a couple posts where people walk through their their iOS seven redesigns. Like uh, Mailbox has a great one and SeatGeek as well. Um, but but people seem obsessed right now with um, for good reason, making a sustainable business in the app store, pricing, in-app purchase, things like that. And those things, while they interest me, are not uh, are not what get me up in the morning. You know, you have to make money from what you do to be able to keep doing it. But the thing that gets me up in the morning is making a software that people want to use and they use every day, and then they they um, write me amazing emails. Like I've gotten some amazing emails since the launch of Velocity about how the software has helped change people's lives, and that's that's the reason why I do it. Pricing is an interesting one. Um, what is your sort of current take on this trend of people discussing pricing like you know oh, apps don't make money anymore paid apps are dead we should all move to in-app purchase what is your sort of current take on that trend my current take is that i'm lucky to not have to care about it too much because i do have i've had a full-time job um and so even if the apps that i make don't make enough money to support me that's totally okay it's secondary income anyway um but for the people who who do you know, want to run an independent software company, um, I'm really sympathetic. You know, uh, RealMax Software released Clear Plus, or, or, or initially re-released Clear and, and cut off the old version and then changed their course to release Clear Plus. And anyone who re-releases an app that I use, as much as I use Clear, of course I'm going to pay again. I have no problem. I had no problem when Tweety 2 came out. You had Lauren on the show a couple weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I think... It's, it's okay to move to an app purchase model, but personally, I'm going to be a little bit sad if every app that I use does that, just because I prefer to pay for things up front. I prefer to, when I see it in the app store, make a decision and pay for it. And I know that one of the reasons why people are using an app purchase is because Apple has failed to provide free trials. I don't think free trials would solve the problem anyway. No, I think, I, I think they're endemic of the actual problem itself. We think that free trials is what we need when actually that wouldn't help at all because it's right. it, the only people that really cared about free trials or upgrade pricing i think upgrade pricing even more so is Our the nerds. same is the same people that would have will pay the extra money anyway and don't complain that's right um so it's it's you know it's it's all about finding new new ways to do things i think as opposed to and and that's why I think people are putting so much time into thinking about um, in-app purchase models, because that is a new way of thinking, you know. Yeah. Well, I prefer that. I I I like that people are trying to think their way out of this problem, but I also um, am pretty excited what the larger companies are doing, like Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr, to solve this problem, which is designing better ads, essentially. Um, yeah. Twitter's. Uh, promoted tweets or Facebook's in-stream ads, these are ads that are so much less annoying than the ads in the New York Times application, which are just display banners that are just, they just shoot them at you. They don't care who you are. They don't, they don't go in the stream. You can't scroll past them. They're terrible. They're a terrible experience. And the Times hears about it every single day on the App Store. Um, whereas I think people have come to, if not like, at least accept uh, Facebook and Twitter style of ads. So, do you think that there's any other platform that could pull you in to developing for? Have you ever considered Android? I have not considered Android, but 
but I'm biased, uh, not because I'm an Apple fanboy, but because uh, the other two members of Lickability have both developed on Android and complained about it, uh, complained about the actual development so much that I haven't, that I haven't really considered it. Um, I think that uh, the tools that we have in the development of iOS applications are so good that it, it would, the tools would have to at least match that for me to consider um, switching, or it would have to be suddenly unprofitable to do iOS development. I, I'd have to not be able to support myself um, doing it. Uh, and in that case, I would think about, um, you know, is there a new thing? Is there a new device or a new operating system that is supplanting iOS, and can I, can I work on that? Or if not that, maybe, maybe uh, look into doing more web development. Yeah, what, who knows what's going to happen. Maybe we all go back to the web again. <laughs> yeah. So let me, uh, let's, before we finish, I want to talk about uh, your brand new app at Lickability, which is called Velocity. So tell me a little bit about Velocity. What, what, what is this app? Velocity is a speed reading application that uses a technique called rapid serial visual presentation to show you one word at a time and help you read way faster than you can normally. So where did this where did this interest come from how did you get interested in speed reading well i'm very interested in reading i i've read you know somewhere upwards of 500 rss feeds for a very very long time um, i use instapaper like crazy i read books when i get the chance and um so as someone who loves to read if i can read more in less time that's just naturally attractive to me and i i in college when i was um, at, at university at um, new jersey institute of technology I often wanted to read through my coursework very quickly, and I stumbled across a web, uh, web application called Spreeder that lets you use this technique, and I used it um, to great effect there. And I was wondering why there wasn't a great implementation of this on iOS uh, about a year ago, and there, there really wasn't anything. Now there are a few competitors to Velocity, but back then, really, really nothing. Um, and uh, <coughs> And so... Yeah, we, as a company, we, we often have new ideas at Lickability, and we prototype them, we try them out, and the prototype was impressive already. And so then we spent a year developing it, redesigning it for iOS 7, polishing it, and finally we've released it. It feels so great to have it out there. Do you know any of the science behind speed reading, like how it works and why it yeah. works? Yeah, there are multiple techniques, but I can tell you, I don't know about all of them, but I do know about the technique that Velocity uses. Um, it's been studied a fair amount, and... The way that it works is most people, the, the thing that slows them down when they're reading is that they're actually pronouncing all of the words in their head. But if the words are moving faster than you can pronounce them, then you can still comprehend uh, and you learn to silence that inner voice. That works. I mean, that I'll talk about my experience with the app in a moment. But yeah, that's that definitely makes sense. So you said that you developed it and obviously redesigned for iOS 7. Um, did you make any special considerations when doing the redesign? Uh, well, I'll tell you the story. Um, we had worked with uh, a professional designer named Marcelo Marfil. He's done a lot of great stuff. Uh, and he did the original iOS 6 design of Velocity, which we were working with when we went to WWDC. We were sitting there as the new user interface was announced. We were thinking, oh, sh um, And we went back to our hotel room that night and said, okay, throw it all out. Let's make something completely new. We started working on the, the new design um, ourselves. And then later, once, once we were back uh, in New York, emailed Marcelo and got him in on it as well. Um, and the considerations that we made were to um, 
pretty much stay as standard as possible, except in the places where velocity is different. So we had to invent some user interface elements, like the word, what we call the word scrubber in development, um, or the word slider, I think is what we call it in our, uh, in our marketing. So that's when you, you tap to pause the, the reading, and you can actually slide through the entire document. That's not a standard control. We had to, you know, we had to invent that. Um, hmm. And we also, uh, you know, there's no design pattern for some of the other things like we do, like themes on iOS. You know, it, it's in iBooks, but the iBooks iOS 7 update, I don't think it's, it's still not out, right? Um, so we, went, no. we thought about how to do that, and we decided it should animate, and we changed themes. Uh, and we tried to support as many of the new APIs as possible. So we have something called application state restoration, which just means that if the app is killed in the background, um, it will come back to that same exact spot when it, when it comes back. So let me just say, I I have been using uh, Velocity for a bit, and I don't do a lot of reading, especially sort of long form articles. It's because I'm not I've just never really been much of a a, a reader, uh, uh, especially in recent years. I think the internet has kind of destroyed <laughs> me a little bit. Um, just having very short things to read. Or what do you do? You listen to podcasts uh, all the time. What do you do instead? I listen. Yeah, I listen to lots of podcasts. Um, and that's kind of how I take in a lot of information. But obviously every now and then there'll be an article that I will want to read. And sometimes I would leave an article unread in a feed reader for a long time just because, you know, I, I want to be able to sit down and read it, but I get very distracted. Um, like even just reading a paper book, I just get very, very distracted. My brain is like, what else can I be doing right now? And it's like, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I'm typically doing something else at the same right. time. You know, I... I I have a strangeness that I always need to be doing more than one thing at a time, even if one one task is just nothing, like playing a video game or listening to a podcast or whatever. So I've never I'd never really thought about how speed reading could help me, but recently when I've had a long thing that I wanted to read, say a John Gruber article, I've been saving it to pocket, opening in velocity, and then I will just sit and look at my screen. And all I can do is just look at the screen. Right. Because if I... I can't. I cannot be distracted. And plus, the fact that this is happening right in front of me, it feels like I'm watching something as opposed to reading something. Point. So I'm more entertained mm. by it in a way because I have to keep up. And I find it very interesting because I'm because it's that there's there isn't that monologue going on in my head. So when I'm done reading, I'm like, I don't. I didn't take any of that in. And then I give it a minute, and I'm like, Oh yes, I did. <laughs> it's very. I find it very strange. Yeah. It's like you're downloading Very information strange. instead of having to. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's in my brain, but I'm not aware of it because I don't remember the words. You didn't, you didn't I hear I just remember that. Exactly, because I didn't hear it in my head. But I remember the fact that I have the information. So if you are a person like me who struggles to keep their focus, then I, I, I think Velocity is a, is a great a great app for that. So that is my personal endorsement for your app. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite email that we've received is actually we do include we also include a dyslexic font in the application because in our research on this technique, um, this technique actually works really well for people with dyslexia as well um, because you can't confuse letters across multiple words since you only have one word to look at at a time. And Open Dyslexic is this font that actually also helps with dyslexia, and we figured you know pair these together. This is going to be this is going to be great. And but we didn't really have very many dyslexic people to uh, to test it. So I got an email from a, a grandfather who was using it to help teach his uh, dyslexic grandson how to read, um, and said said that it worked amazingly well, and that was just that was incredible. 
So little things. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes that sort of stuff's better than a thousand dollars. Oh, definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting how that sort of stuff works out. So, sir, thank you so much for being here today. It's been an absolute This was pleasure. fun, Mike. Let's so, do this again sometime. I would love to. So, Matt, tell people where they can find uh, Okay, I'm available at uh, on Twitter. It's probably the easiest because it's the shortest. I'm just MB on Twitter. Um, and my website is MatthewBischoff.com. And Velocity is available at VelocityApp.com. Excellent. And don't forget Lickability, too, where you'll find all of Matt's excellent applications. So I want to thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to, to Matt for joining me. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to find the show notes to this episode, go to 5by5.tv slash cmdspace slash 66. I'll be back next week with another episode. If you want to find me online, I am imike at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Until then, bye-bye.